welcome to Sustain. Going to do something a little bit different on this podcast. Instead of recording a podcast like we normally do, we're going to give you the audio recording of a fantastic roundtable that was recently hosted by Dwayne O'Brien and myself about the role of foundations in open source. Listen in. Thank you for everyone who's joining to watch this roundtable today. Thank you to all the panelists who are here today. I'd like to give a quick overview of the shape of the conversation that we're going to have so that everyone knows what to expect. We're going to go through a brief round of opening introductions. We'll ask people who they are, who they're representing, and in a couple of sentences, what their organization does. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about foundations and associations in general, the kinds of things they do, the kinds of legal structures that they may and how they differ from each other. We'll hear from some of the representatives of these organizations about the work they've done for their projects and some services that they also offer as organizations. And then we'll spend some time talking about projects and when projects might think about reaching out to organizations or when maintainers might think about bringing their projects to organizations, hopefully with about 20 to 15 minutes of open Q&A at the end. If you do have questions as they come along, please ask them in the public chat here in the session and we'll get to them toward the end. With that, let's go ahead and start with introductions. I'll go first. My name is Dwayne O'Brien. I am the head of open source. I am here primarily today as a facilitator and working to make sure that we hear from all of our lovely panelists today. With that, I'll hand it over to Richard to introduce himself. Hello, I'm Richard. I'm here on behalf of Sustain at sustainoss.org. I will be facilitating questions at the end of the talk. Eva, go ahead. Thanks, Richard. First of all, I'm really happy to be here with this wonderful group of people. I'm Eva. I'm with the Python Software Foundation. I'm the executive director there. I've been with PSF in one capacity or another for about 10 years now. The Python Software Foundation is pretty much the nonprofit organization behind Python and its community. Some of the programs that we run include things like uh, the production of PyCon US, a grants program, protection of our trademarks, and we're actually expanding a lot of the services we provide this year by hiring full-time staff to support CPython and packaging this year. So we're really excited. Rachel, how about you? Thank you. I'm Rachel Lawson. I'm privileged to be the community liaison at the Drupal Association, and we support the content management framework Drupal, which really build some of the biggest, most important websites in the world. And our mission is literally to support the growth and continued sustainability of that project. Uh, maybe I should hand it over to Leah. Hi, I'm Leah Silent. I'm the executive director of NumFocus. And NumFocus works to ensure that resources and funding are available for the projects in the scientific data stack. And we do that through a couple programs. We work to support the contributors of open source scientific computing projects through our fiscal sponsorship program and affiliated project program. And we also support the user community through educational initiatives, events, and workshops. And I'll hand it to Ben. Hello, I'm Ben. I'm the executive director of the Open Source Collective, which is the host organization that hosts around 2,700 
open source projects on the Open Collective platform, which is a common thing is that people kind of think Open Collective. I happily am also head of Open Collective Inc., which is the organization that runs the platform on which we base a lot of our work. So we do a lot more than just supporting projects kind of financially and being able to access the the kind of accounting and financial system and the legal system more generally. And we do a lot of work to just generally support like the open source space through events, educational and kind of research and conversational uh, and a bunch of other things as well. So we might have the opportunity to talk about that. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Jory Burson. I'm the community director of the OpenJS Foundation, openjsf.org. We're the home of probably the largest number of JavaScript-based open source projects. Um, we have about 38 different projects ranging in size from like Node.js and Electron and AMP, so really big projects, but also smaller projects that are effectively really important utilities for the JavaScript ecosystem like NVM. And we run a lot of programs to support the maintainers and help them just grow their communities and produce software as effectively and as non-dramatically, I like to say, as we possibly can. And uh, Karen. I'm executive director of the Software Freedom Conservancy. We're an organization that's dedicated to promoting the software freedom movement. And we do that in three major prongs. Our biggest is really our fiscal sponsorship, which we have about 50 member projects who we partner closely with to help them grow and improve and defend themselves. And those include stuff that everybody's using, like Git, for example. Our second prong is that we run Outreachy, which is dedicated to diversity and inclusion, where we do Usually my spiel is 100 interns per year, but but that's increased now to about 120 interns per year, and we're hoping to grow it further. So we do that and we work with projects across the free and open source software spectrum. And then we also are known for our enforcement work where we stand up and defend CopyLeft and the GPL. And so we have a coalition of Linux kernel developers that work with us, and we make sure that everyone's following the rules so that we all benefit from the CopyLeft licensing that folks have very generously and ideologically chosen to license their software under. And so that's us. Thanks for everyone being brief, rolling with it, and doing such a great job of passing the baton as we went through. So I have used the word foundation here to describe a range of organizations that are not all foundations. Drupal is an association. There are some that are foundations. And even the word foundation itself doesn't mean the same thing for everyone here. So I'll throw it out as open and just ask that we self-moderate to make sure that we're creating space for everyone to talk. What is a foundation? What isn't the foundation? And, and what are some of the differences between the types of organizations that you have? Go ahead, Ben. So to explain, Open Source Collective is a 501c6 trade organization. It's a nonprofit organization. It has a effectively charitable mission does not exist to kind of benefit any single member of that trade organization. But it's not how I might, as a British person, kind of think about foundations that are often kind of thought of as charities, which in the US is a 501c3. But Open Collective does also have a foundation. I'm here just representing Open Source Collective, but I know something of the foundation side as well. And there's various reasons why we have both of those organizations. So yeah, I just kind of felt like it was important to recognize that the word foundation is sometimes a little bit confusing, but it can, can encapsulate all kinds of organizations. Karen? I just wanted to say that I was once on a panel very much like this, where one of the executive directors said, well, the differences between a C6 and a C3 is that six is twice as good as three. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a really funny conversation because I think that organizations are just 
really sort of differently organized. One is around a common business interest and the other is around the public good. And you can really check this out. And I encourage anyone who's interested in foundations at all to look at the corporate documents. And it's different in different places around the world. In the U.S., all of these nonprofits have to file what's called Form 990s, their annual reports. And you can see what we all make. You can see our salaries. You can see the, what people are being compensated. And you can see where money is coming from. And when you see where the money flows, it really explains a lot about why these organizations are formed the way they are. And it really influences what work they do and how they use that money. So the numbers are sound a little confusing because they're gobbledygook of letters and numbers, but the basic foundational structure really matters in terms of who is giving the money, how are they using it, and what is the organization going to focus on? It's funny you should say about how having real visibility as to who's putting money in and where that money goes is really important for the, the trust of the people who are eventually going to benefit. I mean, the Drupal Association is a 501c3 as an educational nonprofit. So we're there to educate people, the wider world about Drupal. And you can see again, Form 990. So you can see where we spend money. And I was only literally this week speaking with somebody who wished to make a donation. Uh, they said anonymously. So, which is great. It was wonderful. But it was like, yeah, the maximum you can do in the U.S. for that at the moment is $5,000, which is fine. You know, that was kind of what they wanted to do and it all worked out. But yeah, it's literally making sure that things are done in the right ways for the benefit of the community. And I think I would be remiss at this point if I didn't call attention to the fact that on the panel today... I think we have a significant representation from the U.S. side of the FUS Foundation space, but not a lot internationally. And so a lot of the structures that you hear us talking about 501c3 versus 501c come through the lens of the representatives that we have here today. I would add something to that because I was just reading about the history of the Drupal Association, and it talks about why we did that in the U.S. Because originally it was a, we had an association in Belgium, uh, Drupal VZW. And if you go to drupal.org slash association slash history, you can read all about that as to why we made that uh, change, which is a lot around if you've got people who are donating, you want them to be able to make the best tax situation when they're doing that. So we get the greatest benefit, really. Setting aside the structure, the nuts and bolts of how foundations are set up and maybe the different kinds of them, what do they do? And I'll look here maybe to Eva, Leah, and Jory, who we haven't heard from yet. What kinds of things do foundations do for projects, and in particular, projects in the FOSS space? Speaking on behalf of the PSF, I guess we'll say, you know, we're here to support the community's needs and put, you know, Rachel and Karen were saying the donations that we receive from our community stakeholders to the best use. So one of the things that we do in addition to fiscal sponsorship, which our fiscal sponsorship program isn't necessarily as large as some of the other organizations here, but we do definitely give out a lot of grants, which in a healthy year would probably be around $400,000. And those grants go to outreach and initiatives pretty much all around the world. So it's just through providing, you know, especially around educational efforts, just providing that support and structure for others around the world to take advantage of it. For the folks on the who are attending this session who may not be familiar with, when we say fiscal sponsorship, what does that mean? So 
Fiscal sponsorship means it's not just one size fits all for fiscal sponsorship. So there are different models of fiscal sponsorship, but for most of those and for most, I won't speak for everyone on this call, but for the majority of the projects that we fiscally sponsor are under a comprehensive model where that project then becomes a legal part of NumFocus. So we take on all the legal liability for that project. We provide fiduciary management, all the financial admin. We also take care of tax filings, paying invoicing, everything like that, contractor agreements. We also provide legal services and digital infrastructure support as well. There are also other models of fiscal sponsorship, but that is the majority of our projects are under that model. I'll just add a little quick tidbit to it. Um, PSF's model is exactly the same, and those are the majority of the services we provide. I think one of the things that we're definitely trying to ramp up in the coming months is to also better provide better publicity and marketing to the projects, which I think, you know, definitely from our point of view, can use a little bit of improvement. Is there anyone for whom their organization and their view of fiscal sponsorship is significantly different from what was just described? I'll add that from the OpenJS Foundation side, we also support projects that may have other means through which they're gathering funds. So, for example, we have several projects that are on the Open Collective platform, and that's okay. Our job, as we see it, is to ensure that the maintainers and the community are aware of the things that they need to know when they start looking at taking in income because there's lots of um, gotchas that you may not know about. And we're here to, in addition to marketing and events and sort of the fiscal sponsorship, generally, it's really about helping to educate and support, especially the maintainers so that they can kind of grow healthier, independent communities. It's one thing that I think the OpenJS does a little differently. We do support the projects to have their own sort of brands and identities. OpenJS holds the trademark and will, you know, help ensure that those projects are available in perpetuity, but we support them driving the projects as they see fit so long as they meet our values and criteria for open governance. I was just going to follow up on that and just basically just say, you know, for open source collective in general, that's the truth in the, you know, we are absolutely happy to work alongside projects when they have other means of getting income into a project and whether they're kind of doing another organizational structure even. And I'm kind of an example of that because I have a company that's based in the UK called Octobox Limited and an open source project that's on Open Collective called Octobox. And we manage both sides of kind of community development uh, through Open Collective. And then we also have a company that dedicates a a good share of its revenue into that open source project. And it's, yeah, I think it's easier to do that within a C6 kind of structure as a trade organization. Some, there's more of an limitation on the charitable side, understandably, because you get some benefits in terms of like tax breaks and so on as well. So, Karen? I would say if you're doing it right, you're also generally getting a benefit in terms of the like intrinsic neutrality that comes for not allowing any particular individual or company to have too much benefit from it. That concept is called private inurement and all of the charities are like really freaked out about it, but it, there's like a really positive, wonderful side of it, which is in terms of like making sure that there's a really even playing field for all projects. And, and that's why it's great to have all these different tools because the common business interest trade association model is really wonderful for some situations and the charity is different. I want to say like the same is true for most of us, Jory, where 
Most of us are holding trademarks for our projects, but helping them grow their own brands, you know, under our umbrella. And for Conservancy, we're generally a comprehensive fiscal sponsor. I'm proud to say we helped a couple of the orgs that are present here get started with their own fiscal sponsorship by sharing our agreements, which we will always do because we think that's part of our role in the ecosystem is to just also act as support for fiscal sponsors generally. But we also have other things that are a part of our our model to answer Dwayne's original question, like we have the Debian Copyright Aggregation Project where we help the Debian project, not even by taking in any money, but by helping them with copyright aggregation for the developers that want to make sure that their project is defended and their copyrights are looked after. So there's like a lot of different permutations here. I just wanted to add, NetFocus is also a C3 public charity. So as part of that, we make sure that when new projects are coming on board, that we make sure that decisions on funding decisions, technical direction is all done you know, by the internal project community, as well as funding decisions. But we want to make sure that their governance, that their leadership is diverse so that there's not all decision making from one institution or one entity, be it a corporate entity or an academic institution or a research lab. We want to make sure that there is a diversity of opinions and that we can make sure that decision making isn't all coming from one source. Great. I'm going to move us into, I think, the next little bit of our conversation here. As we hear about the kinds of problems that you solve for projects, copyright aggregation, trademark aggregation, providing some structure for the project to be able to receive funds and so on. I'd be interested to hear from the panelists about times that your organization has helped solve another kind of problem for member projects or for projects that later became members. When have you been able to step in and intervene on behalf of the project? So I think there's a pretty famous example in the JavaScript community, which Richard and others may recall. OpenJS used to be both the Node.js and the JS Foundation separately. One of the things that prompted the creation of the Foundation for Node was a pretty big rift in the community over governance. And that's when Node and I was worked off of Node. Over the course of establishing that foundation, establishing more community sort of input and direction over the project and that sort of thing helped bring the two projects back together and sort of resolve some lingering issues in the technology as a result. And that was pretty well documented. You could go back and look at that. But I think more commonly, there's all kinds of little things that pop up that could be many crises for maintainers that don't have support. For example, we have one project that the maintainers loved the project, but they could no longer do it. They could no longer do the work anymore. They didn't want to see it die. And so they asked for help finding the right new group to come in and take over the project so it could grow. And it worked really well. We had a couple of great new maintainers from France who actually won an award for the project from the Open UK because it's so cool. They haven't told that story, so I'm not going to name names, but it's a great little GPL license project. Eva, I think I just saw your hand flutter. And just to add to what Joria was saying, another situation that's kind of sort of similar helped us help the project enforce their code of conduct in a necessary situation. One of the, and I'm sure all of the organizations here do this as well, but during the process of kind of due diligence, we do you know, mention to the incoming projects that they do adopt the PSF code of conduct. And we do have a code of conduct work group that can assist at any point in time, even though 
they could have their own incident responders within their own project, of course. But I love that we're able to provide that kind of structure and support from the get-go for these projects. Go ahead, Rachel. Yeah, I mean, having the code of conduct being managed in the community by, again, the community working group, I think it's got the same name in Drupal as well, is great. But what the Drupal Association can do is help provide them support and a level with the board of directors so we can have somebody to take on any reviews of any description and also provide legal support. And we've had to do that in the past to give legal advice to the CWG as needed and to arrange that, et cetera. The Drupal Association has that role across a few different bits and pieces. Go ahead, Karen. Yeah, I would just add to that, that I think another thing a lot of us do, because I think we've all, we like, I'm, I wanted to say yes to all of these things. I think one of the things that Conservancy does for Member Project that I'm sure everybody else is doing too, is we also provide press support for our member projects. So when there's a tricky situation, like, for example, if we're talking about a very high profile use of the term master and slave, for example, which hit several of our member projects in a quite very high profile way, you know, being able to help the project navigate the press cycle for both crisis situations and then also for really positive situations, establishing those relationships with reporters and helping them do that and then helping them also tailor their governance on the way in and throughout and keeping all of these issues intertwined with the community relationship. I really want to just highlight that. Like that is such an important piece of support that you do not recognize the importance of until you are in the thick of needing it. And so those of you and your projects that provide that kind of support for your member projects, I'm sure they're incredibly grateful. Go ahead, Ben. So I was just going to kind of follow up and try and kind of bring that into the theme of the session and general maintain to sustain. We've had this discussion in other kind of forums, for instance, at Sustain, in which we've tried to be a little bit more specific about the kinds of roles that exist within project communities. And I think, you know, in various different kind of guises and flavors, we're there to either provide that support directly or at least there to be like the sounding board and to put you into that frame and sort of say, okay, well, if you have this situation and you don't feel like you have the experience or you have, you know, the necessary guidance, we're there to kind of help develop it and walk you through and, you know, be able to bring that together so that you can kind of bring that into your project or we can bring it for you. And yeah, like I, I think, Rachel, I think maybe you had led that conversation at Sustain. It was kind of just, all of the various things that you oh, have yeah. to do and maintain that. And we have, you know, the support that we can provide those projects en masse. But then if we don't have that support, for instance, the Open Source Collective is a comparatively lightweight organization. I personally will always be there to be able to kind of guide people through and provide the sounding board and stuff. And I've only been the executive director for a couple of months, but I've already done that for various projects and always kind of happy to. So I think that very kind of humans is one of the kind of fundamental and most important kind of aspects of all of this, really. Go ahead, Jory. I was just going to definitely plus one Ben's sort of like human element kind of comment here. Technology is really, it's important that all of that's very we're technically interoperable between our projects and all that sort of thing. But we don't necessarily think about the human interoperability problems that frankly are one of the key sets of issues that I think foundations are set up well to serve. And I think that's one of the biggest advantages to joining a foundation is to get more of that human support. Because you know your project better than anybody else. And a foundation probably shouldn't be telling you what technical decisions to make. But it should absolutely help you feel very well supported as a human, as a maintainer. There's a really interesting tension in play here. As I've heard several of the panelists say, we want to be very hands-off with the project on how they manage their identity. 
but available to be hands-on when they need support beyond what their project might normally have expected. So I'm sure that's an interesting tension to manage. Go ahead, Karen. I was just going to point out that very same tension and say that there's a long history of foundations that are sort of saying, we delegate that we are not involved at all the technical direction of the project. And I think that's worked out with really mixed results. And as an organization that originally, Software Freedom Conservancy was originally in this very like, we are just a foundation. We don't really act for support in terms of any technical decisions. We realized that after watching mistakes and getting into them ourselves, that staying too separate from the technical direction of the project is a massive mistake because then the foundation isn't serving the technical direction of the project. So making sure that the representation and the like relationship between the foundation and the project is close with the technical direction and that there's like a dialogue and that those things are aligned is really important. And to make sure that they don't get too far afield because otherwise the money doesn't wind up getting used to support the where the project really needs to go. And the people making the decision about the assets and brand and press are often like often la la land without really recognizing the realities of the project. And then also being able to recognize that the project has significant technical problems that need to be addressed in an urgent way, whether they're security or something else. It's just really important and can't be separated. So I'm maybe sort of off topic. So Rachel, you go first, because I wanted to kind of bring up that there's also a different kind of flavor of groups that we support. And those are not just technical projects, but also user groups and conferences. So maybe Rachel, you go first, if you have more to add on I was probably just going to give some examples of what Karen just said, really, when even though the, the Drupal Association doesn't drive the technology direction of the Drupal project, what it does do is very much support it in particular ways and be very much involved. So for an example, a real life example, we are working on a project to build a extension, a module browser right into the middle of the Drupal software. But of course, that needs to be able to interface to Drupal.org to browse the available modules, get the right information, know the workings between them, work with Composer, etc. And to do that, one of the key leads of that is Tim Lennon, our CTO at the Drupal Association. So we make sure that when we need to be close together, we're really close together. Go ahead, Eva. So just like technical projects, we have several actually where fiscal sponsorship stemmed from for the PSF was user groups and event-based kind of groups. And just like technical projects, they also don't necessarily want to spend time invoicing or getting donations, or if they have an event, making sure you know that they're abiding by a code of conduct, any kind of way that we can support groups in that sense, like running their registration system so they don't have to worry about you know taking in that financial responsibility. We are here to provide. For everyone not on the panel, for everyone or watching this in the recording later, you may be hearing about all of these things that foundations do on behalf of their member projects and be under the impression that they are overflowing with people and money and to help those projects. And the reaction from the panelists there should tell you everything that you need to know. So no matter how well resourced you think they are, in the shared notes for this chat, there will be links out to their organizations or look up these organizations. If you believe in their work, it's important for you to support it. Whether you are an individual who is making a single donation as yourself, or if you have the capacity to write checks on behalf of a larger organization, 
supporting this work is super, super important. Because we know that you do not have infinite time, infinite resources, infinite people, I know that you have to be very intentional about the projects that you accept into your organizations that you can provide support to. What are things that you look for from projects that apply to be a part of your organization? When do you think they're ready to come in? I'm going to put Leah on the spot. One of the things that we look for is that they have that clear, again, decision-making process and as part of their governance. So because projects that are small, they may not have funding coming in, or they may have an opportunity for funding to come in through a grant. And as soon as that money comes in, we want to make sure that project leadership is set up in a way that there is a clear line of how those decisions will be made. Do they have a roadmap? Yeah. Is there an understanding and how will those decisions be made on where funding will be spent? So we want to make sure our project is mature enough that they do have a governance model. They may not have a a fully fleshed out roadmap, but that they have some mechanism of deciding what funds will be spent on. And then the other thing that we really make sure projects have is that they're operating in a very open and transparent way. Do they have a mailing list? Do they have a very clear entry point for new contributors? Is there a new contributor guidelines? Is that easy to find? Many projects have that, but that's not easy to find. So that they are operating in a way that someone is coming in new to the project and would like to contribute can easily find that path. Jory, go ahead. Similarly, we have a checklist that our cross-project council, actually, which is a group of individuals from all of our projects, help us assess the fitness of a new applicant into our foundation. And we have this checklist of looking for things like, how is the project governed? Does it have that sort of what we think of as de facto standard documentation about contribution, about the code of conduct? Are they willing to adopt our code of conduct? Are they willing to make some changes if we identify that gosh, you really don't have enough diversity of maintainers at this point to look like a true kind of open collaboration, you know, and we also look at how they fit within the ecosystem. So all of our projects range from really big ones to like small packages, and that's fine. So we're not discriminating on size, but we look at the impact and does the project have a very well-defined scope so that people can understand what the project is, the problem that it solves that it's, it needs to be around for a while, that, that sort of thing. Go ahead, Ben. So I feel like I have to say something because I think open source collective and open collective as, you know, in general, as you might know it, is maybe the ugly kid in the room. I think we probably have like a, a, not a lower kind of bar in terms of projects that we accept, but certainly we accept a lot of projects. We have about 2,800 maybe at the time, last time accounting. And I think in a given month, we have about just under 900 active projects that have basically accepted a donation or have paid out some kind of expense over the course of the last month. We do care. We care predominantly about community and about working in public. So we don't accept any projects that have single maintainers, or it would predominantly seem that there is one single person who is in charge of that project. We prefer to accept projects when they specifically have two maintainers, and we always require the admin for the account on Open Collective has two people with those rights. So yeah, but I I feel like in terms of having very mature governance structure about 
kind of having policies on how the project's going to act and so on. I think we're looking at this, like our place in the universe might be to bring projects on in the environment where transparency is kind of built into the process. And then we, through guiding and working through projects, kind of build towards that rather than kind of requiring it as we come in. I know a lot of other programs have like a thinking kind of process and kind of help with that. So I don't know whether... For the maintainers of projects who are in charge of their project and are thinking that it might be, or wondering if it is time to start reaching out to foundations, what are some key indicators that they might look for that it's probably time to tag in some bigger help than they've had to date? I think like the short answer is like when you're doing things, especially with assets with a group of people, it's a really good time to do that. Don't let your fellow contributors register trademarks under their own personal names. And, and be sure that you have shared access to things like domain names and, and that you have a real established, just in principle, agreement with each other about how you will contribute and how will you use money and how will you make decisions. Awesome. Thank you so much, Richard. I'm going to hand it over to you so you can throw some questions of panelists and I will fade into the background. Thank you so much, Dwayne and panelists. This has been a fascinating discussion so far. So one of the questions we got was mailing lists. Why is mailing lists important when considering whether you're going to take on a project into your foundation? Whoever wants to take this may take it. I'll take it. So we provide public mailing lists for all of our projects. Public notification of project activities is very important. From an open source perspective, it's just really good hygiene as we within OpenJS Foundation get further involved with standards orgs. Public mailing lists are a requirement of certain standardization activities. So that's another reason why, depending on your project, you might be required to have a public mailing list. I'm sure Karen probably could speak to more of like the legal reasons why, but, but that's one of the big ones for us. I don't think there's a real legal obligation to have a mailing list, but there are Awesome to have because it really helps us to determine, or a forum, it really helps us to determine who is contributing. And you can look at the repo and who is contributing that way. And you can also look at who's discussing what, what happens when users approach. Are there toxic people on the mailing list? What is the usual experience of people when they interact with your project? And so mailing lists are like a really great way to deal with that, but it's not the only way. Leah, you have anything to add? I was just going to add, and I see that Evich has put on here like forums like Discourse. Yeah, it may not be a traditional type of mailing list, but as long as there is a way that the project is communicating with its contributors as well as users, and that's public. I mean, you're an open source project. That's part of our Be Open criteria. But I think all of the foundations here, as I think Jory said, yeah, it's just good practice. Thank you so much. I agree with all of that. I think that was really great. I have a question which was not asked in the chat, but which was sent to me personally. And so I'm going to ask it. Why do we think there are so many women in this space? Looking at this panel, it's fantastic to notice. And I just am curious. I was actually going to say, does it matter? Actually, if that's how it ends up, that's how it ends up. And there's no intrinsic reason maybe and i would challenge if there is an intrinsic reason but if this is a place where lots of women are being successful great absolutely but i'd like to challenge the idea that it's because of intrinsic reasons i was going to say there are quite a number of men who are involved in these initiatives and at this like sort of a level of 
management of these organizations, but I will say there is a socialization component to women stepping up to solve the problems on behalf of the group, particularly problems that are a little bit less glamorous, potentially. How many of the women here have a technical background who are involved in this? So like all those of us with a technical background, raise your hands. Yeah, almost all of us. I have been on so many situations where there's been a male counterpart who has run an organization and the folks that are present assume that the male executive director has a technical background, but I do not. And it's like a really fascinating thing. While I agree that there's no reason why women should be leading these foundations, there's no intrinsic reason, but there is like the double-edged sword of like women being willing to step up for this kind of role. Thank you. Great question. You can see why that was asked privately in the chat. Well, privately to me, because someone's like, I don't know if I should touch this, but I really like it. This is a really interesting question. Can everyone agree that most open source software foundation's purpose is not to support the public interest, but instead to support the interest of the members? I actually do want to call on Ben here because Ben is working with the Digital Infrastructure Initiative going forth from Ford and Sloan. And I know he can't speak on behalf of that project, but I think that's a very interesting perspective. Ben, can you agree with that statement? I would say that at the kind of very human kind of support level for individual member projects, we're very much there for that community. Uh, We do a lot to try to broaden, and I'm not just speaking from my own organization, I think I speak for everyone here, like we do a lot to try to broaden the understanding within the space and to be able to kind of amplify the message of you know, issues within that space and work towards solutions. We support research, we support events, we support funding campaigns. You've got one that kicked off today. So yeah, I mean, from the open source collective perspective, it's in our mandate that we work common interest, not necessarily just for the member projects. Thank you. Shori or Leah or Eva, you haven't spoken enough during this. And I'm just curious what you think about this. So Now focus, again, as a C3, everything that we're doing has to be for the public good. And which is one reason why we get that designation, you know, from the IRS, because these are open source projects and they're available to all. NetFocus also doesn't have members. There are organizations that have members. That's a legal significant. I mean, you either are a member organization or you are not. And a member organization can definitely still work towards the public good as well. But just to make that clarification. So our internal community, yes, definitely we support them. But everything in our support for the internal community, whether that's contributors our users is very open so that, you know, open source projects, anyone can contribute, anyone can use them. So then it is for the public good. And at the same time, while we're very focused on that internal community or ecosystem, we're also trying to expand that. So bring new community members in and educate them on these projects. Yeah, it might be that whilst we work for the public good as the Drupal Association. You know, we're trying to make the world a better place through through better web, you know, content and stuff like that. Our touch points, who we actually touch, members of our Drupal community, but that doesn't mean that the effect is entirely there. The effect is much wider than that, but we do it through helping those in our community. I love that point. I think that's really great considering that I know that 
the six people here, basically, without them, a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world right now would not be happening. So I want to thank you all so much for not only the work you do, but also coming on here and being panelists and talking today. I think Dwayne had a really good idea, and he said we should go around and ask everyone to plug what they want to plug, because you all took time to do this. So, Dwayne, I'm going to let you take over again. Thank you so much for listening to me, Blether. Thanks for keeping an eye on the chat, moderating the Q&A, Richard, and, and generally being a, a great supporter of this work and of the FOSS Foundation space and of sustained and sustainability. With that, I want to transition us here into the end because the panelists have been very generous with their time to come. You, I, you love your organizations. You're passionate about them. You have things you're excited about coming up. And I'm springing this question on you, but I know that you're all professional, like ready, eager to talk about the things that you have coming up. Some of you just had conferences that wound up in the last couple of months. Some of you might have things coming up. What are you most excited about? What do you want to plug on behalf of your organization? Go ahead, Eva. So just a quick shout out to Python and the PSF. So Python is celebrating its 30-year anniversary this year and the PSF its 20-year anniversary. And a part of that, we're running a campaign like so many other organizations here probably. But the nuance about this campaign is that we're actually, and I posted this link into the chat, we're giving away a t-shirt for anyone that donates or becomes a member with $99 or more, which we're really excited about because we've never done this kind of swag gift for donations before. So check out the link that I posted here which goes to our CBCRM donation page and has pictures of the shirts. Awesome. Thank you, Eva. I'm so glad when I clicked that link, it didn't close this chat. Go ahead, Rachel. The Drupal project has been a great place for many people to build a really great career in the open web. In fact, it's one of the most, most incredible places in terms of being employed. The employment rate of Drupal developers is incredibly high. And people are always searching for new people. So the Drupal Association has taken on a task of trying to grow the next generation of Drupal developers, especially from underrepresented groups. We've got a thing called Discover Drupal that's happening now, building up. And any help that we can receive, either in terms of time, skills, Money to help run that would be extremely appreciated. Go ahead, Ben. I just want to talk very quickly about FundOSS, which you can find out more about over at FundOSS.org. We're trying something new. We're trying to bridge across a common problem, which is the, the large institutions that have significant money to support open source projects often understand the relevance of specific projects and how they're used in their own stack, let alone more kind of globally across the world. So we're trying to use match funding in a different way where instead of matching the amounts that are donated, every donation is treated as a signal that is then used to allocate from a large match funding pool that we're calling democratic funding. Even if you only need $1, that as a similar signal to someone that was to give $1,000. And it means that if many people give $1, we will allocate a significant proportion of the $75,000 match fund that we have for this first round. So yeah, please go and check it about three hours ago. Currently, it looks like we're giving about $10,000 worth of funding to 60 projects. But yeah, go and check out fundoss.org. As someone who swims a lot in the funding space in the open source ecosystem, I'm really excited to see how this experiment turns out. And I'm thrilled to see you all trying something so so cool and new. 
Yeah, so we just had our big conference last week. And so I'll have to plug all the great talks and content that came from that event that are now live on our YouTube channel. So please go and check that out. I'd also love to encourage folks who want to support our JavaScript projects to perhaps come get involved in our individual membership, our sponsorship program. It's at JavaScriptlandia.com. You can sign up for just a $25 subscription, and that goes uh, to help us support um, some stability and resources and things like that for our maintainers. We have some collaboration spaces in Slack. We have lots of opportunities for those who love JavaScript to come show that support and get involved with the ecosystem. So please come join us. Thank you, Jory. Karen? Yeah, just to plug for Software Freedom Conservancy, I think probably most excited about so many things, but we've been involved with the a DMCA rulemaking process, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act process in the United States, where we're fighting for your right to tinker, fighting for your right to be able to modify your devices so you can protect your privacy. And uh, we filed three exemption requests, even though we're one small org, which is the most that any org filed this, this round. And the hearings just happened and it sounded like we have a good chance at well, I don't want to jinx it, but I'm very excited about that. And that's that's coming up. We also have some announcements coming up about our GPL enforcement work that I'm super, super excited about. And I also wanted to put a plug in here. If anybody wants to private message me here, I'd be happy to send you some conservancy stickers. I bet other people are the same. We haven't been seeing you at in-person conferences, so we can't meet you. And you may have new equipment and new laptops and new things that need stickers. So let us know. We would be happy to mail them to you. Thank you so much, Karen. Leo, what are you excited about? What do you want to plug? We don't have any events that I can give you dates for, but we're definitely working. We have a great organizing committee working on PyData Global that'll be coming up in the fall. So watch for tweets and information on that. One of our projects, DASC, we just worked with them on the DASC Summit. So that just finished up. Videos are on YouTube for that. But also, yeah, I'd just like to invite everyone to Come to the NumFocus website, look at our projects, look at the wonderful things they're doing, consider contributing, whether that's a code contribution or another community need. NumFocus also lots of volunteer opportunities and committees that we have. We'd love to hear from you and see you involved. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leah. And I'm going to do a quick round of thank yous and then we'll go. I want to thank in no particular order, Eva, Leah, Karen, Jory, Rachel, and Ben for being great panelists today. Richard for helping me moderate. A special call out to cloud68.co for providing us a platform for free to be able to host this talk for everyone and to have a couple people on hand to make sure that things ran so smoothly. To Aspiration Tech for letting us use their instance on Cloud68. To my employer, Indeed, for creating space for me to be able to host conversations like this. If you're interested in the work that I do there, opensource.indeed.com. And for everyone else who attended and brought great questions, and for everyone who donates to, supports, lauds, praises, gets involved with these organizations, they do great work, they need your help. It is built on the backs of people who show up. So. With that, thank you everyone for being here and we will talk to you again soon.